0: Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom Aleichem and Chodesh Tov. I want to wish you, Jim, and all of our listeners
1: a wonderful, blessed, good new month. Today is... A very special day. It's Rosh Chodesh Sivan, the first day of this new month of Sivan, the month of the giving
0: of the Torah. And the shalom, uh, lots of shalom, Rabbi, to you and and all of Israel today. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like by the time people get around to actually listening to this this broadcast, this show. But as you and I record this, you have just gone through uh, how many rocket attacks now since since they began. Oh, over a thousand
1: rockets oh. since Monday, and That's today so being Wednesday, in a couple of days, over a thousand rockets have been launched uh, on Israel from, from Gaza, uh, and that is uh, is one thing that's going on the other thing that's going on is that within israel the, the arab israelis that are supposed to be um loyal citizens of israel we're not talking about the so-called occupied territories we're not ca- talking about the so-called west bank we're talking about the arabs that live in cities within israel mm-hmm. they are also basically it's civil war they are they are in the mixed cities like lod which is just outside of Tel Aviv. Um, it is total anarchy. They uh, last night destroyed three synagogues. With, with They burned three synagogues and dozens and dozens of automobiles were set on fire, Jewish shops. It was literally Kristallnacht. It's literally a pogrom. So, let's start at the beginning. The beginning is uh, <laughs> beginning is a tree of knowledge, as you know. Today, again, I just want to i want to reiterate to everyone our blessings for this new month of Sivan. we've We've been through a lot in the past in the past weeks, all of us in this very intense and beautiful time of year of uh, spiritual growth and introspection. the whole whole point, the whole basis, the whole motivation of the counting of the Omer again is about introspection towards becoming the people that we can become, towards becoming free of our own negativity, of our own ego, of all the things that are holding us back from truly serving Hashem in this world. Uh, and uh, that's what the idea is of the counting of the Omen. That's it, but the idea is soon we will be standing once again at the foot of Mount Sinai to receive Torah on the beautiful festival of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks that's coming up on Sunday night. And this Shabbat, of course, we begin the fourth book of the Torah, B'amid Bar, mm-hmm.
0: which yeah. is in the, wil- in the wilderness. In so the wilderness, and it's, it's, uh, I, I always love the the uh, coming together of the Torah reading and what is going on in the world. Obviously, the most obvious connection is the fact that as you celebrate the giving of the Torah, uh, just within a few days, uh, you are uh, we are reading a Torah parsha that begins, what, I think the second year at Sinai, right? This is the beginning Second of, the, of, the, of the, the tribes surrounding the, the Mishkan. And um, I believe that the way that they are, could, because the Parsha opens with this uh, arrangement of the, the tribes literally physically around the Mishkan. Does that not also mirror the placement of the sons when they marched and also the rest of their families when, when Yaakov passed away? And was taken back to Israel. That This is the very same arrangement as they marched back to Israel to, to inter his body. Exactly. And and what, what happened even earlier, as the
1: tribes, the sons of Yaakov, stood around his deathbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He prof- prophetically had them stand around his deathbed, northwest, south, and east, in the exact same pattern that they would be uh, camping around the Mishkan mm-hmm. in the desert and traveling in the, in the desert journeys. Yeah. So it was, it was all part of a, of a, a divine plan that reveals their various nature and, and characteristics. And, and, you know, the whole concept of, of the, of the wilderness of Sinai and why, because chronologically what's going on is that, you know, we had, we had the book of Brishit, and then we had Shemot, the book of Exodus and the giving of the Torah and the instructions for creating the tabernacle. And then, there was an interruption with the book of Vayikra, the third book, which is basically the manual for how to, mm-hmm. as it were, serve the shekhinah serve the divine presence in the tabernacle. And now so, so, sort of like chronologically, which of course the Torah isn't chronological anyway, now we're getting back to the order of things. And because we haven't yet learned about the sin of the spies... So as it is right now, we are we are preparing to come into the land at the yeah. at the beginning of the book of of Bamidbar. We're supposed to be coming right into the land. The the delay was caused by the sin of the spies. So right now we are poised and ready to, to go in and, and conquer the land. And that's one of the reasons for the, the um, tally in the beginning of the Parsha, because it's yeah. a very famous question. Why is there another census here when there was just a census with the half shekel in the book of Exodus? And this has to do also with uh, those that are going to be serving in the military and preparing to march into the land. And the whole idea of why Torah had to be given in the middle of the desert at Mount Sinai, what? is it about the desert which when you think about it was not only the place where the torah was given but it is basically the crucible of where the nation of israel developed from a group of families into a nation that was it was as it was as it were their their cradle of development was in this inhospitable desert, yeah. and so that's something that um, Bezrat Hashem will be speaking about this week in, in our video, which I hope we'll be able to make, as my cameraman was called up for military service today. Your son, your son, uh, yes, your yes. May Hashem protect him. He is he is um, defending the country right now. We'll talk more about that. I guess right now. So, Jim. So here's the thing. Um, who whoever would whoever would tolerate this in any (laughs) country, in any civilization in the the world. In the past two days, over 1,000 rockets have been fired at Israel, five dead so far, but that is just a miracle that there's not many, many more dead. We are talking about the past few days, hundreds of thousands of people, citizens from Tel Aviv to 'er Beersheva are in bomb shelters. I don't even know if our listeners can grasp what we're saying. I don't know if they've heard it. I don't know what lies they've heard because the media, which is totally devoid of any morality on a good day Mm -hmm. and which is totally motivated by by its own twisted agenda – probably all the time. Uh, I don't know what they're giving. I do know what they're giving. I'll give some examples. But I, what would America do if its neighbor, if, if Canada or Mexico was firing on a, a thousand rockets? It's just mind-boggling to think about driving on the, along a, yeah. on a highway the, with your children, right? I mean, just my wife was just talking to this woman that she met in a store, and she's talking about how she was driving on the highway, and, and she saw the missiles overhead, so she just pulled over the side of the side of the road with her with her daughter. The, the missiles are going overhead in the middle of the day. So, you know, people are talking about their, you know, the great leaders of the world are talking, expressing their concern. And they're talking about all these gods, the god of coexistence and all of these different things and peace, all these things they're talking about. Let's try to analyze what all this is really, really about, since the truth is. That first first of all, before I go any further, I, I, and this is, yeah, what we're talking about in this show is that Israel is under attack as we speak. And I know that most of our listeners, and I think all of them love Israel very, very much because they love Israel because they know that Hashem loves Israel and that Israel has a message for the world. And the message is love. And the message is basically the 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 ennoblement of humanity. The Torah and the commandments is about opening up to us every holy potential of every moment, every situation of every relationship. And it's about to, the, our goal of being ever sensitive to everyone. And, and that's what we're trying to accomplish here. And, and, and here, you know, we're coming up to the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. And so the, Juxtaposition of these things in this uh, time wise is it's it's a very, it's a very powerful message. I think that Hashem is giving, and I just want to say one thing that is terribly important to emphasize, and that is, Jim, I know how you feel about being in Israel. I know how much you miss being in Israel. You haven't been able to come here since, since the whole COVID thing. Mm-hmm. I want to say for myself, there is nowhere in the world that I would want to be right now, other than right here.
0: Yeah, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody of any particular. Uh, culture or nation that would, uh, and I even feel that way. I mean, what's so what's so odd is that uh, even with what's going on, I would like to be there right now because even I've been in Israel uh, enough, and you know how often I come over. I've been there during during these these rocket attacks, and the uh, never I I have not been there with this kind of barrage going on but it's, a, it's absolutely unprecedented it's un, absolutely it is a, unprecedented. unprecedented and i i can speak as a, a non-citizen uh, and as a non-jew that when i'm when i've been there it's amazing even with that happening with sirens going off i've been in i've been in jerusalem when i've heard the sirens go off and i didn't i didn't feel a sense of panic you know you you, you don't you know, randomly run through the street shouting for joy, but you, <laughs> you you do feel there is a sense. And I think I think part of it is the, is just on a very natural human condition and, and the traits that Hashem has given us. Uh, you, you have grown one. One part of it is that you've grown used to this because I don't know that people realize that the bombardment of rockets coming over is is something it is on a daily basis anyway. As, but not just in this number is the difference. And the fact that if, if you are a, an observer of, of uh, events in the nation of Israel, you, you have to know that the, the Palestinians and whoever is, you know, whoever is really driving them, it's, it's always like they got the same memo. They are, they are looking for the least little bit of provocation. They always remind me of a of a kid that goes up and in the in, in the schoolyard and slaps you And then you try to defend yourselves and the teacher comes out and waves at both of you and says, now both of you need to shape up. Okay. Okay. So let's get to that. Eventually the question of provocation, the
1: provocation, my dear, is that we're alive. That's Mm -hmm. the problem. It's called the Jewish problem. It's called the Jewish problem. This is what we mean when we talk about the Jewish problem. It's the fact that there are Jews. It's a very big problem. They don't seem to be going anywhere. I don't understand. Anyway, the thing is, no, you never get used to it. First of all, all the during the years of, of Gush Katif, right? When we mm-hmm. had uh, the Jewish enclave in the Gaza Strip, all during the time that the Jews were living there, there were missiles on them. Mm-hmm. There were missiles on Stay Road for so many years. The difference now that everyone is waking up is because it's hitting central Israel. And then we have this fifth column within Israel. We have our own loyal citizens as it were, so to speak, the Arabs that are basically lynching Jews, stabbing Jews, setting synagogues on fire, pulling people out of their car. It's its incredible. But I reiterate to all of our dear friends that love Israel that, that want to come and spend their vacation here in postcards. I, in a few days, hopefully this will be over and it will be perfectly safe for you. I think it's perfectly safe now. I don't want to be anywhere else. And you know what? Uh, People are writing to me and saying uh, they're expressing their concern for our safety and I say to them especially everyone in America I say it's you that I'm worried about. It's you that I'm worried about. Because everything that's going on here makes perfect sense as part of a program. It makes perfect sense because we are moving towards a greater revelation of of what has to be done of what, of what of what's what this is all about this this whole struggle of of what of the destiny that's unfolding but the point is this people have this app on their phone right red alerts whatever it's called mm-hmm. people have different apps because they want to know what's going on in israel and the, and maybe they have to shut it off because the app is going off nonstop yeah. nonstop it shows you in real time when when a missile is being launched against israel it's not stopping the sirens and it's totally unprecedented right again, what would America do over one thousand rockets fired on us the past couple of days so so what what's going on so all the news reports they they tell you that this, and first of all, who's, who's uh, um, launching the rockets? The rockets are being launched by a group called Hamas. Hamas is, the, is a terrorist organization, which uh, when uh, Israel um, was forced into the disengagement in 2005 and departed from the areas that it was maintaining Jewish sovereignty in, in Gaza, anarchy set in, right? Hamas officially took over in two thousand and seven, the governorship of of Gaza right, and uh, you know it was a paradise when the Jews were living there. It was uh, uh, one of the wonders of the world. the technology, the greenhouses that were built that uh, that in this incredible um, hydrophony and all sorts of agriculture that uh, that was Jewish innovation in these places. And we left it for them. We left it for them for, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's already saying, well, Israel, you should take care of them. We, it's our responsibility somehow. So we left all that infrastructure and they burnt it all to the ground. And of course, uh, that's when we needed to install the Iron Dome. And so now they talk about how the Iron well, a thousand missiles have been launched against Israel, but the Iron Dome, which is an anti missiles uh, system, right, has been successful 85 to 90% of the time in downing. The missiles before they reach Israel. But I got to tell you something. If we wouldn't have done the disengagement, if we wouldn't have left Gush Katif, if we wouldn't have expelled 10,000 Jews from their homes, we wouldn't need the Iron Tome right. because yeah. there were no missiles being fired when we were living there. But anyway, I digress. So wh- what is it all about? Why? Why is Hamas firing all of these missiles. Well, it might be important to recall that they are officially dedicated to destroying Israel. That's their official position. It's in the charter. It's it's in in the the charter of the Palestinian charter, but the way that they describe it in the media is that it's, is very, very um, uh, strange. It's very, it's very, very um, elusive statement. They're saying, well, it's tied to prayers during Ramadan Now, what does that even mean? We spoke about that last week. Why would Ramadan, why would the holy month of Ramadan be associated with with declaring war against Israel? And it's also tied to this eviction notice that was given in a neighborhood in Jerusalem called Sheikh Jarrah, where you have a group of, so called Palestinians that have been squatting on Jewish property for decades, yeah. without paying any rent, without paying any rent, squatting on Jewish property that was owned by Jews from before one thousand nine hundred and forty eight mm-hmm. and they've been squatting there so so the Supreme Court of Israel actually did something Jewish, which is very very unusual because it might be the bastion of Western democracy but has never really been particularly um, um, fair to the jews the supreme court uh, they actually decided legally yes this belongs to jews and these people have to leave so what it is jim that the whole world is talking about israel's cruelty and throwing out these palestinians from their homes it's basically what you would call in america a real estate dispute yeah exactly like you have i'm sure with with the with the um Uh, the American Indian population Mm -hmm. and all sorts of different things that you hear about occasionally various real estate disputes. So that's what this is a totally internal matter. And the fact is that somebody is in my house, not that I'm in somebody's house. Somebody is in my house for decades (laughs) claiming it's theirs. And finally, there's actually a, a proof legally internationally that they took it. So because Israel had the audacity to say that these people have to be evicted, they decided that they're going to declare total war. So, what's been going on? Like I said, a thousand rockets fired against Israel since um, Monday. Five dead so far, which, I, like I said, that's just uh, a miracle because uh, there have been homes that have been destroyed and some direct hits.
0: Well, and one um, one of the uh, one of the uh, the type of reporting that we're seeing is, for instance, when uh, some of the Palestinians. And, of course, you can't trust their numbers when they issue numbers. But they, the, the typical press response was it didn't mention anything about any casualties in Israel. But it did say it did say it, it did report incorrectly when the reporting began on people losing their lives that nine or so or more Palestinians had died in Israel. Well, they didn't. They died in Gaza they died in Gaza. In fact, it was probably friendly fire, as we call it, because yes. they even killed. They even blew themselves up by uh, preparing by la- a rocket, preparing a rocket for launching. So it wasn't even Israelis that were involved in it. But, but not like that. Jim, my God, this is so unbelievable because because like, like
1: now there's a clip you can see where the IDF leveled a large building. The building that the IDF leveled contained Hamas offices And they're also going after the commanders of Hamas and they have targeted a number of these commanders of the rocket launchers because they know exactly where they are. But the thing is that before the IDF does this, they warn the people, which to me is like, it's incredible. Okay. Talk about a Jewish army. They warn them. They drop leaflets and they make announcements that everyone should leave because we're going to bomb you in a few hours. And then they go and they talk about the media and various politicians are going to get to that. Talk about Palestinian children being killed how horrible that is and how and how we have to be concerned about that you know who has to be concerned about that their fathers and their mothers have mm-hmm. to be concerned about that but they launch as you know, they launch from high high density population centers, and they launch from hospitals, and they launch from kindergartens because they know who the Jews are, and they know that the Jews are going to be very compassionate and think twice about how they're going to do something like this because they, they use them as human shields. Exactly. So we're we're supposed to be you know so so concerned about about uh, about them, and they feel very very badly. And then you get into this whole thing of moral equivalency about how both sides have to de-escalate it's just unbelievable let me go in order of the things that i wanted to tell you about i mean obviously this is this barrage that for example i think like last night i think it was like over 300 rockets alone it's it's unprecedented and um again i i want to emphasize israeli arabs are joining in when missiles are flying overhead the israeli arabs here in jerusalem and in cities like Lod, they go outside and they go onto the rooftops and they cheer. Like they did during the Gulf War with Saddam Hussein. They go out uh-huh. and they cheer, right? There's a, a big supermarket chain, Rami Levy. It's a big supermarket chain. And and there are Arab workers there and, and 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 Jews and Arabs come and patronize this store together. And during these missile attacks, all the Arab checkout clerks and all the Arabs that are working in the store with the Jewish customers, they go outside and they watch the missiles and they cheer and they yell, Allah Akbar. Because they hope that Israel will be destroyed. you mm-hmm. understand what we're, what we're talking about here? So last night, in the city of Lod, by the way, in the city of Lod, which is just outside of Tel Aviv, there's now a state of emergency declared. State of emergency means that the police have extended powers to be able to do things according to their description, discretion because there are unprecedented pogroms. I'm telling you, it's literally the Kristallnacht in Nazi Germany burning of synagogues and shops. You know what happened? There's a a row uh, there's a, a fi- a film that you can see of just dozens of cars. I think it's 30 cars that are burning. You know when they lit the cars on fire? When there was a an air raid siren and all the Jews went into the bomb shelters, the Arabs came out and, and torched all these all these cars, right? So the, and what do we hear all the time about the apartheid state and about how Terrible! The Israelis are abusing the human rights of all of the Palestinians. And you know, you know, Jim, downtown Jerusalem, you want to sit outside of a cafe, you can't even get a seat because everybody's all 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 occupying the tables, and it's all Jerusalem's Arabs are having a wonderful day. God bless them, sitting, enjoying themselves. I mean, I mean, there, there's no apartheid here. You know very well that there's no apartheid. Of course not,
0: right? Of course not. It's a, the, it's a media lie.
1: Syria is the idea is that the that the goal is to destroy Israel. Hamas, that's their charter, like you said, to destroy Israel. Again, I said the Iron Dome has been working. It's a great thing in the interception rate of eighty-five to ninety percent. But we wouldn't need it at all if we hadn't been forced and pressured by the United States to give up Gushkatif. So Hamas took it over and since then has made it a hell for its own inhabitants, right? And the thing is that that, you know, Hamas opened up the first volley against Jerusalem—it was an incredible experience here in Jerusalem. But, 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 uh, happily, we had no casualties. And since then, there have been terrible, terrible casualties throughout the country. But you know that the commander of Hamas already announced that that they won. They said they won the battle. They declared victory in the battle over. Jerusalem, and and the thing is, Jim, if you think about it, recent years, like did did we ever win a war? Does it, has Israel won a war? Because winning a war is when the other side comes out with a white flag, yeah. and says we give. But what happens here is that there's some mediator, whether it's Egypt or, Amer- or America or something, and we come to what they call a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ceasefire means that we cease, and that they keep on firing because they yeah. used to keep on fire for quite a while after after this ceasefire. But no, that's what we have. We have these we have these ceasefires because it's just a, they just want a little break in their in their campaign. They need to, after all, they've depleted a lot of their a lot of their ammunition. now they need to restock, right? We have to give yeah. them give them a chance. But this thing, this thing about the, the Sheikh Jar neighborhood is just so unbelievable because it's it's Jewish homes in the heart of Jerusalem that belong to Jews. And everybody is involved now. The State Department is is involved and everybody is condemning Israel. For these evictions, as if the picture that they're painting is of this superpower that is just like showing total, uh, total uh, you know, like um, indifference to human suffering and, and, and taking families and throwing them out in the street. It's, t- it's taken decades to finally get, get the courts to look at it and say, this is not fair. This is, these are Jewish homes. Why are they there? And that should be our business. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know why that goes all the way up to the Biden administration or to the UN or to anyone else. Anyway. So, so I I skipped over one important detail of the story, and that is Jerusalem Day. Right. So, Jerusalem Day, Jerusalem Day, as you know, the twenty eighth of E. R., which we celebrated Sunday night and Monday, is a is a very special day. A very important day um, for the Jewish people and no less important than Ramadan and the week of Ed is for the Muslims. Jerusalem Day is is the day of of our reunification of the Holy City and it means a great deal. So every year for like 25 years, there's been what they call the flag march where we have uh, young people and families and everyone from all over the country marching all around Jerusalem with flags, singing beautiful Torah songs about their love for Jerusalem. Yeah. And it's always been considered a terrible provocation. Like, how dare, how dare we we do that? But I mean, it is supposed to be our city. Yeah. So this year, you know, it hadn't yet, yet all unfolded. It began to unfold on Monday night. That was the first attack so but Monday afternoon at 4 p.m., let's say the, the attack was at 6.10, the first missile attack. But at Monday afternoon already was supposed to be this march. And so finally the police were hemming and hawing. Will they cancel it? Won't they cancel it? And then finally they they didn't cancel it, but they said, no, it has to go in a different direction. It can't go past the Arab areas. And then the organization that runs the march said, no, we don't want to do that. We're not doing we're not we're not acquiescing to a divided Jerusalem. We don't believe in a divided Jerusalem. We want to go in the original on the original march. In any event, whatever, whatever they, way they went, they did go. Those that participated in, in the march, they get to the Kotel. That's where their march always ends up on Monday night, on the, the night of Jerusalem Day. And they're dancing and they're singing at the Kotel, the remnant of the Holy Temple, as it's called, and it's a, it's a special moment, right? Yeah. And, then, and then the, the Arabs are rioting on the Temple Mount as they have been every day, rioting on the Temple Mount, right? So there's a photograph that's released. It was chilling. It was an am- amazingly disturbing photograph that was all over the world. And the photograph showed a huge fire on top of the Temple Mount. Right. Uh, uh, right. It was at night. It was a huge fire on top of the Temple Mount. It was terribly frightening. And what it was, was that the Muslims on the Temple Mount who were shooting off fireworks and Molotov cocktails and everything, they deliberately aimed these fireworks at a very old tree, on the Temple Mount and they set it on fire. And that's what was blazing, right? Yeah. And it, it looked very, very surreal, the, the, you know, there were flames all over the Temple Mount, right? And at the time that I saw the photograph on social media, I read a statement made by someone in the Israeli ministry of, I don't remember what exactly, a person in, in, a, in a government position in Israel said, expressed concern over that picture and said, we're concerned that, that picture is going to be abused and misinterpreted. Oh, and it was. And right, Wait, wait, I'm getting to that, right? And I didn't understand. I didn't yeah. understand at the moment what, what they meant, because to, to me, the, the sight of these flames engulfing the area, it looked like the destruction of the temple. It was, it was a horrible picture. But then I find out, and I don't know exactly, I must say, I don't know if someone in the squad said this or if it was NSMSNBC. I don't know who, who said it, but it was released in some outlet. That what was going on was that because you saw the Jews dancing down below at the Kotel with the flags, which is the culmination of the Jerusalem Day March. They're doing yeah. their religious dances about Jerusalem, right? It's singing Psalms one twenty two, etc. Pray for your peace of Jerusalem. But the byline of the picture was that the Jews were celebrating the fire on the Temple Mount. That they they were celebrating the mosque burning or something like that. I Just saw a that total, total lie. That's why I say this world is governed by the media Mm -hmm. and the media is three things. It's a tripod. It's ignorance.
0: It's evil. And it's lies. Yeah. Well, you know, Yasser Yasser Arafat was, was alive. And uh, there is, there's the famous story of him uh, and his retinue, his uh, group traveling to Hanoi to, to meet the officials in, in Vietnam and years ago, after uh, the U.S. Army had, had had finally returned home and, and uh, Arafat was said to have asked the Vietnamese leadership, how did you beat America? How did you how did you get them to leave your country? And and uh, they said, oh, it was simple. We uh, we we went after the uh, their press and their colleges. And once we had them on our side, we won the war and Arafat took that to heart. And I still remember my first trip ever. They to, had a secret
1: weapon, Jim. Also Jane Fonda.
0: <laughs> she was one of them. Yeah. And I remember my first trip to uh, one, on one of my first trips to Israel back in the nineties, my, my, uh, my first visit to Jericho when you could still visit Jericho and uh I was with a, a, a filmmaker from the UK and she asked me to take her down to Jericho. And one of the places she wanted to stop is she wanted to stop at the Associated Press office. And so we went by there and they had they had a little, a little office there, just a little one room with a teletype and some young Arab guy. And it turned out that his, uh, he was he, he boasted to me proudly that Arafat was his uncle. So I saw right away that this had already come true, that, that basically they had, you know, infiltrated. Uh, they, they, that was their stringer was Arafat's, you know, nephew feeding back disinformation to uh, to the Associated Press. And, and they have they have they long ago joined the legions. You know, and I speak from a place of of some experience because I spent 30 years in broadcast radio. And but you're and, still my friend. You're still my friend because you did Judaism. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I came around because you know the reason I came around, Rabbi, was because I started to study the Torah. And the other thing I did is I've always been a, I've always been a student of history. I love history. And I, and I've told this story before and I hope I don't, you know, that people don't get tired of hearing it, but I saw trouble coming years ago when I was in radio when I would meet these young uh wannabes in the broadcast business that were taking journalism at school and they would come and they would intern at whatever radio station i was working at i i brought on several interns and uh some of them were great people but i i noticed many of them that claimed that they wanted to be journalists had uh, a terrible Mm -hmm. dislike for history they thought they found history boring and so they were easy prey for the, for you know this this element in in America that would come to them and feed them disinformation because they didn't know any better and they weren't even going to take the trouble to find out the truth about Israel that that you know that not only does it have a uh, a, a political connection and a governmental connection to the land even going back to the Versailles Peace Treaty conference in Paris after World War 1 When when that peace conference is the one that came up with the idea of autonomy for nations and one of the nations that they said needed autonomy was Israel. Canada, by the way, was another one, believe it or not. So and the other thing is, is that if you want to talk about history and archaeology, another love of mine, there is no archaeological proof of an ancient Palestine. Or I well let oh, me let man, me go back. We don't even not, need to discuss. Not, there's no, me, there's no me, Palestinian
1: me, language. There's no Palestinian me, yeah. coins. There's no Palestinian yeah. identity. There's, because as we've said, it was a ploy that was discussed mm. in, in a in a pan Arab summit, and is another another. Um, um, Plot towards the total destruction of Israel is yeah. the
0: is the, is the is the ruse of Palestinian identity. Well, what I wanted to clarify, I, I want to clarify. I misspoke. I, I said there was no ancient Palestine. Of course, it was an ancient Palestine, but there wasn't a Palestinian people in ancient Palestine, which is you and I both know. Many of our listeners know the Palestine name was given to Judea after the Romans finally conquered it after after the, the the Jewish rebels had conquered six Roman legions and they finally they finally took over and as a slap in the face to the Jewish people they named the land after a yeah. people who no longer even existed. The and all the
1: Jews All the Jews who lived here under British mandate were called Palestinians. They were were Palestinians and they had Palestinian passports and they were of Palestinian nationality.
0: Right. If you were born, if you were a Chinese person, I'm just going to use that as an example. If you were of Chinese descent and you were and your parents were living in pre-1948 Israel in Palestine, if you were born, your passport would say Palestinian. It would say Palestine, as opposed, as opposed to Yasser Arafat, who was born in Egypt. In Egypt, exactly. So the there is, it is the ignorance, and I, I don't, and I don't mean ignorant. I mean is it is the, it is the ignorance of history that is helping move this along, you know. It, and it's also fueled very much by it. Doesn't need that much help because the fact
1: is that there is an agenda, and it's the old hatred of the Jewish people, and and that comes from. This, this week from Mount Sinai, Jim, yeah. you know, it's, called, uh, it's called Har Sinai. Samech yud nun yud, Sinai. And in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an evocative midrash, uses a play on words. And the midrash asks rhetorically, tongue-in-cheek rather, whimsically, why is it called Sinai? Because from there, hatred descended into the world. Yeah. It's a plain word, Sin'a and Sinai. Why? What does it mean? Because the world hates Israel, because Israel received the Torah. It's yeah. not for naught that the whole idea about how, how Hashem offered the Torah to all the nations before and nobody wanted it because it was too binding to them morally. And then Israel re- received it and accepted it and said, Now seven Ishma, we will do and we will obey. And this is something that is very much resented by the nations of the world. Because of the fact that Israel has a an obligation and a responsibility and a mission to bring the world to a, to a level of acknowledgement and responsibility to each other and an acknowledgement of Hashem, that's the whole idea. Yeah, I I hope or the, for the for the whole world and our listeners know that who like our listeners who are who are so dedicated who are coming to Hashem know that that's what the the whole thing is all about. Again, the Torah and its commandments are opening us to holiness in everything and to potential.
0: You know, you mentioned the fact that, and it is a fact that much of the uh, so-called provocation uh, on the part of the Palestinians who are making a, a mess of all this right now and, and firing rockets into the the heartland of Jerusalem, uh, not Jerusalem, of Eretz Israel, uh, you know, is because of what is actually a, a real estate dispute. I mean, th- this is what it is. And what's interesting is, is in, in the larger picture, the the nations and the media condemning Israel is really also over a real estate dispute. It, it, the dispute is, is that whether this land belongs to the nation of Israel. And
1: Exactly. It's the first Rashi in the Torah of why the, the Torah starts with the to show you that Hashem created the world and he gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people. I just read this past week that um you know the, um i think to celebrate its anniversary or something the guardian the newspaper mm-hmm. in great britain it, yeah um it made it made a list of its biggest mistakes that it ever made in the past 100 years or something like that and it listed one of the things that it regrets one of the biggest mistakes that it made was to be in favor of the balfour de- de- declaration that was uh, a, I'm, I'm a historical mistake because it was terrible that great britain sponsored what? Oh, and it said because, because Lord Balfour had no idea of what the modern state of Israel would be like. Huh? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. what? You mean you mean our cures for cancer and all of the and all of the things that we're doing for the world? I guess that's what you mean. So wait a minute. The Biden administration—you and you have to say the Biden administration. You know, you're not allowed to say President Biden. You're supposed to say the Biden administration uh, said yesterday. The following, quote, Israel has a right to respond to rocket attacks from Gaza and the Palestinians also have a right to security. It, this is what the what the, the, the press person said at the beginning of the briefing. Israel has the right to defend itself and to respond to the rocket attacks. The Palestinian people also have the right to safety and security, just as Israelis do. Jim, I don't even know what that means. What no, does that? that what, what is that? How does that sentence work? I, 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 excuse me. Like what what exactly are you trying to say? If they wouldn't be attacking us, would we would we have to respond? It's just incredible. So the State Department readouts uh, it basically expressed US concern over the violence surrounding the Temple Mount and the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood where dozens of Palestinian families are under threat of eviction to be replaced by ultra-nationalist Jews. What, why ultra-nationalists? You mean Jews who actually have the audacity to be living here? So, so, so uh, then the spokesman was pressed on whether he had seen photos of the Palestinian children killed in Gaza, reportedly in Israeli uh, airstrikes. So he said, I've seen those pictures. It's hard not to look at those pictures and feel the sense of the suffering. So again, Jim... Maybe the people who should be so concerned are the parents of the Palestinian children who are who are allowing this to go on.
0: Well, it reminds me of what uh, Golda Meir said, and that is, is that he she once famously said that they that we that Israel would have would have peace uh, from the Arabs when the Arabs finally love their own children more than they they, love their, their more than they hate us, hate us. Exactly. So, but again, I think this is uh, this is this one of these amazing things that happens that it we have this uh, thing, this meeting of these themes in in what's going on in, in in Israel this week with the idea of of the Torah Parsha taking place in the wilderness at Sinai. And Rabbi, why why did God uh, why did God have the, the Torah given at Sinai? Because Sinai was like a no man's land. There was a reason it was. for that. So, so, was so I don't want to
1: tip my tip tip too much of my um, uh, of my hand on that. Simply because I, I really want to go into that in our video this week, God willing, ah, if um, okay. if I'm able to produce. But I want to talk about why the desert was chosen by the Almighty to be not only the place for the giving of the Torah, but as I, as I mentioned, it was basically the 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 birthplace or the or the. Or the incubator for the people of Israel as a nation before yeah. they came into the land, they spent these 38 years in the desert. What was that all about? What is it about the desert that is conducive mm-hmm. to acquiring the Torah? Is what we right. want to.
0: All the great, uh, all the great leaders and all the heroes and and all of the heroines of Israel, they all had a a kind of wilderness experience, didn't they? In in preparation. For becoming uh, taking a, a leadership role, they all King David as a young boy, he spent all of those that time, uh, you know, out in in the countryside, you know, tending the flocks and and contemplating his purpose in life. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he was he did the same thing that that time with his father in law, tending the flocks, and this is of course when he had his his own personal Sinai experience, and I think that is. Uh, you know, it, it, the the symbolism is it's thick with symbolism in that I think the world needs to sit back and understand that that rather than bombard Israel with uh, artillery, that those rockets need to be turned around. And as the sages told us long ago, if they actually understood what uh, the, the temple and the jewish people and their call to be a priesthood is really all about it it's like spiting your nose but you know c- you know to, cutting off your nose to spite your face its purpose is to save the world and the uh, the old saying goes that if, if the if the nations knew that they would have surrounded israel with armies to protect they would have it
1: surrounded the holy temple with fortresses the, the, to
0: protect if, exactly and and That's this it. is this this is what it rears its head in in this week's parsha. Is, so, is go ahead. This is so uh,
1: just so the irony is just so thick, and the irony is just so uh, unspeakable. Because again, that that is exactly what the Holy Temple is all about. That's what it brings to the world. It brings this unity and it brings this harmony, and that's what we we're praying for, and that's what Israel's mission is, and that's what Israel is supposed to be concerned about. And the Temple Mount mm-hmm. now again it's we speak about it that it's holy to Islam it's the third holiest site to Islam okay and again talk about the religious rights of of all of all the people and 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 America is going on and on about that we have to safeguard the religious freedom of of everyone but there's no religious freedom for the Jewish people whatsoever right they no. in other words talk, talking about this eviction or what and whatever whatever it is the excuse because it's all just an excuse to 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 um, up the ante and destroying Israel, but nobody is talking about the fact that what about how important Jerusalem day was to us and how the Arabs decided to turn on us and, and attack us on that day. Yeah. So, so, so this is the thing, if you open up our the deepest way about, about this dichotomy, the concept of the vision of the temple. And what's going on in the Temple Mount today? and because one of the things that everyone is condemning all around the world is is what they're talking about, Israel's response to riots on the Temple Mount, right? and And, and I didn't even mention the fact that that it, that the Temple Mount was closed to Jewish visitors on Jerusalem Day, and it's still closed to Ju, to Jews at this moment because of what's going on there. So that's how that's how the terrorists are rewarded that they're not kicked off the Temple Mount, but the Jewish people are not allowed to go and make their solemn visits. You know what we do when we're on the Temple Mount? We walk with our heads bowed and we try to utter a prayer, right? But listen to this. I don't know if you've seen these photographs on social media, unbelievable photographs that for, I don't know how long, I don't know how many weeks it took them, the, the Muslims on the Temple Mount were stockpiling boulders and stones and incendiary yeah. devices right. so that there were these photographs of of Muslims in the mosque on their prayer rugs then next to each person was a huge pile of rocks that's my pile don't touch that mm-hmm. that's my pile you have your pile over there they stockpiled tons and tons of boulders and rocks and somehow the police say they missed it they don't know how they got it on there and they're all over the temple mount and this is what they used to rain down on to the worshippers below and at the police when they, when they came in, when they so-called air quotes stormed mm-hmm. the Temple Mount. And uh, it, it's just incredible. This As is people, their holy place, right? This need- is their holy place. You see a photograph yeah. of people yeah. worshiping in a holy place. We're talking about how Israel is curtailing the freedom of religion, of religious expression for these people. This is their religious expression is that they're using it to attack. They're using it to attack. It's just I- incredible.
0: And the and the anti the anti Jewish press will say, uh, "Oh well, all they have is is rocks and stones." And I want to remind people that say that that uh, in ancient times, uh, rocks were used as a form of public execution. So, people, you know, you can. And by the way, if you've ever had a rock come through your windshield, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of the most dangerous things. That, but I mean
1: going on every day here
0: every, day. every day i remember my first Just right years.
1: outside the walls of the old city two yeah. days ago right outside the walls of the old city a, a jewish man was driving his car he was rocked he lost control of the car and he was taken out of the car and practically killed and he yeah. thank god survived
0: that near lynching i've seen the i've seen the video it's 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 harrowing it's frightening but um so I mean, here's the here's the the, the larger question: uh, Where do we go from here? I know I know what our listeners uh, are doing; uh, they're praying, and the the prayer has to lead to action. Um, but I I don't I don't see in uh, any, any resolution or help coming from uh, our own side because the president administration. Uh, in opposition to the previous administration is not pro-israel and we saw this coming we saw this coming with with the election of of uh uh, of a party that uh typically uh you know keeps alive this narrative of of the uh, the poor oppressed palestinians who have shopping shopping malls And everything in their own. I I never talk about these things by name on the
1: show. I I, I don't do it, Jim, but I'm going to do it now because our listeners love Israel and they want to know what's going on. And I want to have all this organized, all of these thoughts. Okay. Speaking about Democrats and Democratic lawmakers, you have uh, some prominent, they're called prominent progressive members of the House of Representatives who have um, basically um, slammed Israel, Uh, Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, she's saying that the Israeli reprisal is an act of terrorism. She tweeted last night, but she did not mention the Hamas attacks on Israel, just condemning Israel's military response to what, I don't know, because she didn't say, as terrorism. And she writes, many will tell you that Israel has a right to defend itself, to safety and security, but are silent on whether Palestinians have those rights too. Until we can defend the rights of the Palestinians, just as we do Israelis, we have no leg to stand on when it comes to justice or peace. Huh? Huh? Right. Israeli yeah. airstrikes killing civilians in Gaza is an act of terrorism. Pal- Palestinians deserve protection. Unlike Israel, missile defense programs such as Iron Dome don't exist to protect Palestinian civilians. It's just unbelievable. And then she says it's unconsciousable to not condemn these attacks on the week of Ed, but that week is when they decided to attack Israel. But that was okay. That's Okay. That's yeah. their religious freedom. That's their religious freedom. Oh, and then your friend from Michigan, the Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, in her tweet, she she's, condemned Israel for its attacks on terror on terror. And she and she condemned Israel on, on its plan to evict the squatters. And she said, I see some who were silent as Palestinians were ripped from their homes and terror, tear gassed in their holiest mosques. Uh, the whole thing is just absolutely incredible. And this is why I say that the media is basically, it's either ignorant or it is, uh, it's fueled and empowered by its own agenda of lies because these three in the squad are accusing Israel of human rights abuses and they're calling for the end of military aid to Israel as well, right? They're, it's just unbelievable. They they say that they say, quote, we're horrified by the violent assault by Israeli forces on the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the continued violent attacks on the Palestinian people during the holy month of Ramadan. It's just unbelievable that they can have the audacity to say this when when the entire nation of Israel is under attack now. And then then she says, everyone, regardless of their faith, deserves refuge and peace in, in their places of worship. The same should apply to Palestinians, especially during the holy month of Ramadan. But you see, it doesn't apply to Jews. Jews, either they're not people, or it's understood that this doesn't apply to them. They're not supposed to be alive. This is the biggest problem. And so finally, uh, on Monday, um, Ambassador uh, Gilad Erdan uh, responded, Israeli ambassador, to Tlaib. And he tweeted, maybe you should open up your, whole, your eyes to the whole picture. Islam's third holiest site is being used to stockpile Molotov cocktails and rocks that are being lobbed at the police and at Jewish worshipers praying at the Western Wall below the Temple Mount. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians have prayed freely at their holy sites, including in Jerusalem, over them the month of Ramadan, because Israel believes in freedom of religion and Israel, Israeli security forces work hard to enable all groups to pray in peace. In contrast, some so-called Muslim worshipers are curtailing freedom of worship for thousands of Jews who want to celebrate Jerusalem Day on one, of, on one of the most important days in our calendar, marking the reunification of our sacred and holy city. Oh, and then there's this former Labour Party leader, Corbyn, in, in Great Britain. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn. Who, uh. who's call, he's, he says, our hope is to free Palestine. And he wrote... That the, that um, we should join hands with the Arab world to bring an end to Israeli occupation of Palestine, he says. Deliberately provocative attacks on the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the ongoing home invasions in Sheikh Jarrah have led to horrendous violence in Jerusalem.
0: Yeah. So so this is basically what it's what it's all about, Jim. Rabbi, Let's, you know, I'm always suggesting books that our listeners can can read. And I think that anyone out there who wants to know the truth uh, about what's going on, that really the, the modern problems, of course, it's been a constant problem for the Jewish people. They're, they have always lived under the existential threat of, of being wiped out through the centuries. But the, the, this modern idea of a Palestinian state, this fiction of a Palestinian state, if you want to find out where it came from, and, and how it's founded on outright lies, which have been fueled by, by organizations like the United Nations, I suggest that you read a book by Joan Peters. Uh, you should have this in your library. It's called From Time Immemorial. And the reason you need to read this is that it strikes fear in the hearts of those who know that the agenda is, is uh, where it comes from and what drives it and the kind of lies. Uh, my son, went to school here in at the University of Arkansas, and he took the, he took the, Middle, the Middle Eastern studies course, which uh, he would come home every day saying you can't. And of course, he'd been to Israel, uh, you know, with us. And he, he would come home every day frustrated. He would say, you, you can't believe the lies I hear uh, in, in this class by a, a grown up man who should know better. And so I gave him the book to read. And the first time he brought up the book, he mentioned it in class, the professor turned white, he said, and he began to stumble and stutter and spew. And, well, there's a lot of problems with that book. And my son said, yeah, there is a lot of problems because, uh, you know, and he talked about it and what you need to know about this book. And by the way, after he brought he he broached he the subject of, of John Peter's book um, out of curiosity, uh, a few days later, he went to the university library to see if they had a copy of it, and the librarian looked, and she said, "Well, we did, but it went missing." And uh, I'm not going to point fingers, but you know, the the professor had a Palestinian uh, kid who, who was his his uh, teacher's aide. But here's the thing: the the reason I point this book out as one to read is that yes, it was published in the '70s, but much of what is in that book has not changed. And here's here's where the book came about. Joan Peters worked for CBS. And so she was commissioned to go to Israel and go to wherever she needed. And she needed to write a book to reflect why Palestine had a claim on the land of Israel. Well, what, what they didn't, what they didn't uh, expect was that Joan Peters was an honest reporter which sounds like an oxymoron. But anyway, she was an honest reporter who, w- who did very deep research. And she said, uh, guys, all of my exhaustive research shows that Israel is, you know, that the land belongs to the Jewish people and that the Palestinian ownership is a complete fiction. And she backs it up with facts and figures, even you, even U.N. figures. It's an exhaustive book as far as research, and she turned around and she wrote a book saying that the Palestinian problem, quote, end quote, is a problem created by the UN and created by the nations. And uh, it's a book you can read and refute all of these lies. It's called From Time Immemorial. John Peters. Yeah, I think it's instructive to read it. And there's one more news item that I wanted to share,
1: also, Jim, and that is um, going back to last week, before this started, uh, when a 19-year-old Yeshiva boy was murdered yeah. uh, at a drive-by uh, drive-by shooting. I wanted to say, you know, the security forces here—they're pretty, uh, pretty sophisticated in their in their technique, and they have different ways of analyzing data, and they. And they have intelligence and and they have a certain kind of um of a um profile, you know of of the type of person that they're looking for that carries out these terrorist attacks uh, they have a certain kind of profile of of uh, who's going to be doing this is usually someone that's unmarried and of a certain age and uh, from a, with a certain kind of background. Do you know that the terrorist who was apprehended, who shot these three unarmed young Israelis that were waiting at the bus stop murdering one, this terrorist is a U.S. citizen. Mm. His name is Muntasa Shalbi. He is a businessman. He's 44 years old with seven children. And he lives in California. Wow. And he is a U.S. citizen, And he uh, comes from uh, a village uh, in uh, Samaria. And uh, he is a a so-called Palestinian with U.S. citizenship. And according to the security service profiles, he's not supposed to be uh, a murderer. He's supposed to be an established uh, businessman. Yeah, father of seven children. He decided that he was going to murder a Jew, or as many as he could. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, now, uh, gosh, I haven't heard anything at all, not a peep from the Biden administration, nor did I even hear it referred to in the American media that this murderer actually is a U.S. citizen. Does the U.S. have anything to say about that? Of course not. Anyway, the reason he was able to do it and the reason that the experts are baffled at why he doesn't fit the profile is they don't seem to be able to admit the fact that the problem is that we're Jews and they want to kill they want to kill Jews, and that's yeah. it. And again, bringing it all back home to um, the Torah, to Parshat Bamidbar, to Shavuot, the Festival of Shavuot, which we're going to be observing this Sunday night, Monday, and Tuesday as well in the Diaspora. We want to wish everyone a very fulfilling and wonderful Festival of the First Fruits is how it's celebrated in the Holy Temple. The First Fruits are, are brought on Shavuot. It's all about the Torah's goal for all of humanity. Israel received the Torah. Israel's the only one that wanted it at the time. And the fact is that there is a tremendous spiritual awakening in the world today of those who I believe that their souls were at Mount Sinai. I believe that many of our listeners were there with us. I believe they're with us now and they want to be part of the Torah and they are part of the Torah because that's Hashem's goal. It's not something that he's... Saving only for Israel, Israel is responsible to diffuse the light into the world. And again, I think for the third time today, I'm saying the Torah and the commandments are about the holy potential of every moment and every situation and every relationship and about preparing ourselves with a goal. The goal of the human experience in this world, this is what the Torah is for, is to make us ever sensitive to each other. And I I close with something that is so profound. It's not easy for me to recount, but I'm going to recount it back to the Mehron tragedy one more time. And then I'll stop talking about it. Maybe. (laughs) But, um, that, uh, you know, there's, um, something I want to share with you, which is a life-changing life-changing thing. It's absolutely incredible. So, you know, it was a terrible tragedy and, um, yeah, there are human crushes from time to time all over the world at rock concerts, all sorts of things happen. But again, this was different because this wasn't a holy day at a holy place with holy people, all of them God-fearing, observant people who came for a profound religious expression and experience. And, you know, Hashem arranged it. I don't know why. No one knows why. He wanted them all there at that at that time, and it doesn't mean that He doesn't love us. It means all the more so that He has His plan. Anyway, so you know it's a small country, like I said, and and uh, everybody knows each other or knows of someone and hears things. And so I want to tell you something that uh, someone told over, someone who survived, and I I told this over, uh, so some some of our has heard it because I, I mentioned it in our last Zoom class. But it's important enough I want to repeat it to everyone. So there's this survivor, right? He meaning he was there and he lived through this terrible event, and so. He's describing what happened to him, Jim. He's because it all took place in seconds. So he fell down, and there's bodies all around, and there's people all around him. Some under him, some over him, and people are dying. You know, people are dying. You can't yeah. can you imagine like he he people. He, uh, like uh, another father said, like he heard his own child like, recite the Shema Israel, and then it was silence. You know, people are dying. So this guy is is talking about his experience in first person, right? i tell you what. You'll see why I'm telling this story. Okay. So he's lying there, and because of the way people are lying, and they, because of the way that they fell, there's an air channel that opened up for him. Like he he fell in a certain way that he was able to survive because there was like a a pocket, a space, a little tiny space, and he was getting some air. But all this is going around him, you know, and he, and he's able to breathe, mm-hmm. and he lived through it, right? So he tells the story that as he's lying there, he's able to breathe through that air air channel. He hears a person near him saying Shema Yisrael, which a Jew says when they're about to die. And so he knows, okay, this is a person. He's, he's about to die. And then after he said Shema Yisrael, he hears this person say, this, this incredible statement. He says, he hears this person say, whoever is above me, I want you to know I forgive you. Mm. Wow. I want you to know I, I know, I understand that it's not your fault and you don't mean to and you're crushing, you're crushing me to death. Whoever is above me, I forgive you. And you know, there's a prayer that we say every night before we go to sleep, before we say the, the bedtime shema, there's a prayer that we say. It's in every siddur. It says, Master of the universe, I, I now hereby want you to know that I forgive every single human being in the world who ever did anything to me in any way whatsoever. I don't want anybody to be held responsible on my account. So here you have this guy who hears this person saying with his last words, whoever is above me, I forgive you. That is so profound for, for two reasons. One reason is because this is a person who's dying. And instead of cursing and whatever, he's like so organized and focused. He he knows it's his time. He's not complaining. He's He's dealing with it. He's saying Shema. He's organizing himself. He's getting his paperwork together. He knows he's dying, right? Right. So, he's saying Shema, right? So, this unbelievable clarity. But then, to be thinking about another person, to be thinking, I don't want someone else to be punished on my account or to think that he will be, with his last life strength to say, whoever you are above me, I forgive you. Can you imagine that kind of that kind of focus, that kind of clarity? It's just so unbelievable. Why am I telling you this? because and and we'll never know who this person was, right? Yeah. But the idea is what presence of mind do you know that that takes a lifetime of work? This is what Torah is. This is what a Jew is, certainly supposed to be. This is why Israel received the Torah. This is why there's a state of Israel. This is what the Jewish people are supposed to be doing in the world. That level of intense sensitivity is the goal of the Torah, to be ever sensitive, like I said, to every moment, situation, relationship, everything. But believe me, that person who was obviously a tzaddik, who is obviously a, an incredible soul, he, he didn't get there at that moment. He didn't, mm-hmm. That didn't happen to him. That, that is the result of a lifetime of work on oneself, of the nullification of ego, like we've been talking about in every day in the County of the Omra, like the idea of what it means for a person to be able to realize, which is the opposite of every culture and West, Western culture today and, and the media and, and all that, for a person to be able to realize, you know what? It's not about me. I am not in the center I am not the most important person in the world. It's not about me. It's about someone else. That, that is a lifetime of work. And when I heard that, I said to myself, that is, in one sentence, that is the Torah. Yeah. That story for a and, person to say, whoever and, you are, I forgive you.
0: And the fact, the fact even, that even without realizing it, he, uh, he, he affected and impacted that young man he, that, that heard that. and Yes. And it, yes. It's just unbelievable.
1: Anyway, uh, hopefully the next time we're together, we shall be able to report on good news here in the the land of Israel, in the state of Israel. And in the meantime, may we all merit to finish the counting of the Omer and to stand at the foot of Mount Sinai and truly receive the Torah, each of us, in a way that makes it a real soul-level acquisition. And May we really... Work on ourselves to towards that goal of being ever sensitive. That's really the whole purpose of the Sana revelation for us to realize that every moment Hashem's love, Hashem's connection to us, our connection to each other, and to turn the world into a place that Hashem would want to be in. Amen. Amen. So we wish everyone chag sameach, and please continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem.
0: Amen. Hashem.